choir just threw down the gauntlet, didn't they? Man, that was good. I just thought the music all together was especially good today. Amen? Man, how blessed are we to have such talented musicians to lead us in worship. Hey, hey, listen, are you up for a challenge this morning? I know you are. I know you are, because this is a church, this is a congregation that is past milk and ready for meat. You with me? You don't need any uh, milk toast here today. We can dig into the deep things of God. Are you ready? Ezekiel. Oh my, already we're into the deep things right there. Ezekiel 33. Turn with me, if you would, in your own copy of God's Word, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Are you ready for a challenge today? Even if it challenges you personally to some action, I know you are. Ezekiel 33.1 begins, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people, and say to them, If I bring a sword upon a land, and the people of the land take one man from among them, and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land, and blows on the trumpet and warns the people, then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning, his blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have been delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Now as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man to turn away from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. Now as for you, son of a man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you have spoken, saying, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we are rotting away in them. How then can we survive? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn away from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die? O house of Israel. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we come humbly before you with humbled hearts. We pray, Father, that you would forgive us of any failings of our sins. We pray, Father, that you would cover with the blood of our Savior. We pray, Father, so that you might draw close to us and us to you. We need you so. These words are challenging to understand and challenging to apply. So draw close to us. And I confess comfortably, easily, Lord, 
that there is nothing that I can say or do that without your Holy Spirit will have any meaning. So come, Holy Spirit. Breathe through these words. Breathe into us so that we might be pleasing to you. Grow strong in our faith. And our lives may make a difference. We pray these things in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. What a passage. We can feel the weight of these words, can't we? We may not be able to understand immediately where they come from and and, and what they mean to us, but we can surely feel the weight. There's talk of battle and alarms and life and death and, and blood, blood on the hands and blood on the head and a ringing warning of great responsibility. What is the the weight? What's going on? Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of something called the Good Samaritan Law? Anyone? The Good Samaritan Law, really there are similar laws all around the world, but in the United States, the emphasis is really on protecting the witness. In other words, if I see a car accident and, and, and there's someone in there and then the car begins to smoke just like in the movies, you know, and I go in there and pull that person out before the car blows up in, in, in a mighty explosion, and, and even if that person is injured while I'm removing him, the Good Samaritan's Law protect me and say that if I am reasonably trying to help that individual... I can't be held responsible or, or, or taken into court and be sued. That's the law in America. But surprisingly, when I began to investigate, I found out that around the world, the law goes much further. There's something called a duty to rescue. In other words, if you see someone in peril and you take no action to help them, you can be held responsible. You can be taken into court, and some places in the world, you can be thrown into prison. For instance, in Argentina, the law says, if you abandon someone to their fate, a person unable to cope alone, who must be cared for, you will be imprisoned for between two and six years. In the Good Samaritan laws, in the duty to rescue laws, there's an acknowledgement. Now listen, there's an intrinsic responsibility of our connectivity to one another. We are connected. We are bound. We are tied together. We have an obligation or a duty to one another. Now take that concept and we can then apply it to the book of Ezekiel. God speaking to Ezekiel offers first almost a parable saying this, Consider a watchman on the wall, a guard, and he is responsible for for warning out the community if there's any kind of danger or hostility coming, anything that might injure that community. And that warning, that watchman is to stand on the wall and, and, and to cry out, to blow the trumpet, to beat the gong if the enemy comes to attack. And even if the enemy attacks the watchman will not be held responsible because he fulfilled his calling. He's fulfilled his responsibility to the community. Now, the second part of the passage, God speaking to Ezekiel applies this parable to the prophet's life. He says to Ezekiel, 
you will be my watchman. You will be my watchman. I have appointed you. Listen, note that God does not offer him a job. He doesn't give him a choice. He has appointed Ezekiel to be his watchman on the wall. And he says to him, you will cry out and warn the people. Except this time, it is not an external enemy, but an internal one. It is the iniquity of the people. It is the sin of the people of Israel who have turned their back on God and blamed Him for their current circumstances. It is their sin. And God says to Ezekiel, tell them. Tell them that I take no joy in their judgment. Tell them I wait longing for their return. And if they listen, all will be blessed. But if they do not listen, Ezekiel, and if you do not warn them, then he says, God says to Ezekiel, their blood will be on your hands. If you do not warn them, their blood will be on your head. Do we begin to see what's going on now? Do we begin to feel the weight? There's talk of battle and alarms and life and death and and blood, so much, and of great responsibility. Listen, church, do we begin to feel the weight? Or is this nothing more than a dry story on brittle paper? It seems to me that we are an incredibly individualistic culture. Would you agree? We admire the image of John Wayne, strong and independent. We expect people to carry their own weight and to pull them up by their own bootstraps when they fall. Even in the life of faith, we are very individualistic. We, we say things like, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Personal, private, independent, just between you and God. Yet in the book of Ezekiel, really throughout the Scriptures, we see a very different image and responsibility that we have to one another. Are you still with me this morning? There's nothing in the Scriptures that I can really draw back on to say this individualistic attitude that we have. I don't see it anywhere in the Scriptures. Rather, what I see is that we have a connection and a responsibility to one another. When Rich was talking about the Ten Commandments, how many of the commandments are in relationship to God? Four, the first four. The last six are all horizontal. They are in relationship to one another. One of my favorite books of the Old Testament is Isaiah. What is Isaiah? One of the great themes. If there is no justice, if there is no peace between people, there cannot be any justice or peace between us and God. Listen to the Apostle Paul about this connection that we have, this responsibility we have to one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. I want you to hear this morning, listen, not milk but meat, that we are bound together, that we are tied together by the blood of Jesus Christ. Blood tied! that we have a responsibility to one another. And we are accountable 
to God and to each other. Likewise, when Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments, He says, seemingly in one breath, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, it is important that every one of us carry our own weight. But it is clear in the Scriptures that this life of faith is one to be lived out communally, both in the body of believers and among those who have not yet accepted Christ as Savior. And I can think of no place that is more clear, more powerful than in the book of Ezekiel. He says, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. But the blood I will require from your hand. Blood is the symbol of life and death. And there are no words that I can think of that are weightier. Blood is required. Salvation is not just an individual responsibility, but the responsibility of the community of faith. And to make it perfectly clear, we are the New Testament watchmen on the wall. We are to be the messengers. We have a duty and a responsibility to blow the trumpet, to bang the gong, to cry out the warning, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We are the watchmen on the wall. It makes nothing but sense. It's only logical that we are as opposed to so many other things that we might invest our life in. How many of you ever had a fantasy about being the smartest guy in the room? I'm not talking about a three-digit IQ. I'm talking about a four-digit IQ. War and peace in five minutes, just as fast as you can turn the pages. Eidetic memory, photographic memory. Ever had that fantasy? Man, when I was in school, I wish I did. But then on the other hand, what would you do with it? Because knowledge without purpose is really meaningless. How about this? Anyone ever had a fantasy of just being a billionaire? Come on, I know you have. There you go. There's one on us. There's two. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Okay. More money than Bill Gates. More money than Rockefeller. You know Rockefeller was one of the richest men in the history of the world. And when he was asked, how much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? Do you know what he said? Just a little bit more. That's insanity. It would have taken him multiple lifetimes to spend all of his money, and he can't take it with him. How about this? Anyone ever had fantasies about being the, the most popular, the most famous, the, the prettiest person in the whole world? Listen, I can tell you from personal experience, it's not at all cracked up to be. <laughs> Sam, am I right? I am. Because beauty fades. And you can't take money with you. And knowledge without purpose is meaningless. 
And so it only makes sense, it's only logical that we would invest our lives in the things that are eternal. Amen? But what I want you to see today is that's not the message of Ezekiel. Because if you agreed with me, if you said, yeah, that's only logical, uh, maybe not, maybe I can invest my life a little here and a little there, Maybe I agree with you, maybe I don't. Maybe I'll change my actions, maybe I won't. It's a choice, it's an option. That's not the message of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 33, 7 said, I have appointed you a watchman over the house of Israel. You will hear my message and you will warn the people. Or hear the command of Jesus. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I, what? All that I have commanded you. Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the world. These are not suggestions. These are not options. These aren't recommendations. But these are, listen, these are requirements for all of us who would call Jesus Christ, Lord. For all who have accepted Him, how many, I want you to raise your hand, how many of us would call Jesus Lord today? Amen. Amen. Jesus is Lord. You know, a lot, a lot of years ago, when I first started baptizing, and I had just a... a a, a kind of a strange baptismal experience. The only thing I got out of this uh, baptismal experience was the water was way cold, way cold. No one stopped and explained it to me. And so years later, when I was going through seminary and I, and I could see the richness of the Scriptures and the richness of baptism, and after all, we call ourselves Baptists. We should understand what it means. And so I made a promise to myself that I would never baptize someone unless I had explained it to them. And, one, and so we go through the Scriptures. We read them together. And one of the Scriptures is for those that would call Jesus Lord. And especially for the little children, I say, what does it mean to call Jesus Lord? You know, there's never been a child that's been able to answer that. Because it's not a word that we use. It's not a common modern word that we use. And so we have to talk about it. We have to make sure that we understand it. Jesus is Lord. So for you that raised your hands today, if I asked you, would you be able to explain? Would you be able to respond? What does it mean to call Jesus Lord? For me, I immediately think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he anticipated the passion and the cross that were only hours away. And kneeling down on the ground and crying out for relief, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. That's lordship. Submitting to Christ's rule and authority over our lives. You know, I think sometimes in the modern church, we think of ourselves more volunteers. We can come, we can volunteer, we can pick and choose those things that we're, we want to be, you know, part of. We're not volunteers. 
We're disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called to yield to Him, to turn away from our personal desires, to go and be obedient to what He has commanded, even when it's uncomfortable or hard or requires sacrifice for all of us who would call Jesus Lord. And He has commanded us to be the watchman on the wall, to cry out the warning. He has called us to go and to make disciples to go and be His witnesses, to go and to tell His story, to faithfully, passionately fulfill our calling and our appointment. And listen, if we do not, their blood is on our hands. And the stakes could not be higher or the responsibility more profound for all of us who call Him Lord. This week marks six months of being your pastor. The time has absolutely flown by. It has been challenging and more challenging than I expected and more wonderful than I anticipated. I feel so incredibly blessed to be part of this this family of faith. And, and, and the truth is, I can't imagine being anywhere else. I'm getting comfortable with you, and I hope you feel the same way about me. And there's so much good that's going on, so much happening. But in this essential appointment that the Lord has given us, are we making progress? Are we sharing our faith? Are we building up His church? Or have we got comfortable? Summer has come and gone. Back to school. Holidays will be here in no time. There's only 108 days until Christmas. The rhythm of the seasons continues, presses on, rolling over as sometimes it sees. Have we changed and grown or just got comfortable? In the time that I have remaining this morning, I'd like to offer you some very practical and concrete ways that we can fulfill our concrete calling as watchmen on the wall. Are you with me? Oh, let's try again. He says optimistically, are you still here with me? Say amen. Amen. Number one is this. I challenge every committee that represents every ministry to ask themselves the question, how can we change modify our activities so at the end of the day we are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in love and giving someone the opportunity to accept Him as Savior. Listen, it's not ministry if we aren't doing it for the cause of Christ. Amen? And let's make it blatant. Let's make our love so very clear, fearlessly, unapologetically clear that we love Jesus Christ and that He's changed our life, and He can do the same for them. Number two, I challenge every Sunday school class to go over your roles. And those that haven't been here in a few weeks, contact them, call them, share your love, invite them back. On the 21st of September, it's National Back to Church Day. And I already mentioned, I challenge us, 200 people in Sunday school, 300 people in worship service. It's not hard. It's not hard. We're not that far away. 
We can do this. Amen? And remember that as we call and we talk to people, it's not about making some mark on a wall. It's about each one of those individuals are important to God and important to the community of faith. So let's rally the troops. Number three, I challenge every person here today that calls Jesus Lord to pray for the church. Pray that we would have an evangelistic passion. Pray that we would have divine appointments. Pray that we would have the right words to say at the right moment. And pray that it will all begin with you. Let's begin today. Finally, number four. I challenge every person that calls Jesus Lord to speak the truth in love to the one the Holy Spirit would call you and lead you to. And brothers and sisters, my suspicion is that you already know that individual. You already see his or her face in your mind. You know the person that you're to go to. Maybe it's a neighbor that you can sit across the coffee table with. Maybe it's someone you knew from high school that's just been reintroduced into your life. Whoever it is, I challenge you to go and be, and be faithful. Maybe it's an individual like Ezekiel within the community of faith that needs encouragement to come back. Or maybe it's someone who doesn't know Jesus yet. With all of my heart, I believe that you and I are called to be watchmen on the wall. We have been appointed. Won't you be faithful to your calling? Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we need you so. We have no desire to be volunteers. The cost of calling you Lord was so high. Oh, make the most of our lives, Father. Make the most of us. Change us. Give us a passion and a vision to reach out to those around us, to build up your church for your kingdom and for your glory. May we never be comfortable, always rejoicing in fellowship, but not satisfied. By the power of your Spirit, plant a desire within us this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.